How many of you have ever taken a really, really, really hard test? Okay, probably all of us have. And there are different kinds of tests that students often take. Some of you hate multiple choice tests. Some of you love multiple choice tests. And you have essay test and fill in the blank test. There's a particular kind of test that some of you may recall. It's called a blue book test. Does anybody remember blue books? Those little books and they had all the blank pages and you had to write out things longhand. That was kind of an old school way of testing students. Let me ask you this. What do you do to prepare for a test? What should you do to prepare for a test? Yes, study. You have to review the information that you've learned. And what is your goal when you take a test? Okay, to do better than all your fellow students. So you can show them what you did. Well, actually, it's to pass, right? And to do the very best that you can. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been going through a series of messages here in our church called People of Purpose. And I wanted to tell you today that there will be a test. Now, I'm not going to be giving you the test, and Pastor Phil is not going to be giving you the test, but Pastor Phil and I know, when, know someone who will be giving you a test. In fact, he's going to give us the same test in different ways because the Bible is clear that God tests the faith of his people. Now, some of you this morning are actually going through a test because God has allowed circumstances to come into your life to test what you really believe is true. And the reality is that all of us will face tests in the future. And so what I'd like to do today is this, review some of these ideas so that we will be well prepared for those tests. So here we go. We're going to start with this fundamental idea that we've been discussing for a number of weeks, that the local church is the hope of the world for two reasons, because of its what? Message and because of its people. Now think about that word hope. How many of you need hope? Yeah, we all do. Somebody said one time that hope is the oxygen of the soul. Napoleon Bonaparte said this, that leaders are dealers in hope. And every day we are surrounded by people who need hope. In fact, we are people who need hope every day of our lives. The hope that, that somehow tomorrow can be better than today. The hope that despite the pain and suffering we see in this world, there really is meaning and purpose to our lives. Now this hope that everybody needs is found in a message, and that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means what? Good news. The good news about Jesus, who he is, and what he came to do. And this hope-giving message tells us that because of Jesus, our past is settled, our future is assured, and God will give us the strength we need for every challenge in our lives today. Now who has been entrusted with this message of hope? We have, because we are the church. Once again, the church is not a building. The church is what? It's people, people who have decided to follow Jesus. So if you want to see the hope of the world, you just can look around the room this morning, because that's us, God's people. We are the hope of the world. Now, here's another important truth that we've learned in the last few weeks. To accomplish God's purpose for your life, you need to be connected to Christ. Now, whose idea was this? Yeah, it was God's idea. It was actually from a statement that Jesus made. This is in John's Gospel. Jesus said this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much what? Fruit. Now, what is fruit? Well, the Bible tells us. In Galatians 5.22, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, the kinds of things you see in the life of somebody that's got a close connection to Jesus, 
are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Jesus makes this dramatic statement. He says this, for apart from me, you can do what? Yeah, not a zip. You can't do anything. Now, this is such an important truth for us to understand because we do not come into this world closely connected to Jesus Christ. In fact, we're born with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose and away from his plan. The Bible compares us to what animal? Yeah, to woolly sheep who just decide to go their own way and they get lost. And the Bible says that we're like sheep, that we've gone astray. God told us how to live. He said, listen, I want you to love me with all your heart and mind and strength and soul. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody do that perfectly? No. Is anybody here perfect? No, because if you raised your hand, you just proved the point. Right? The Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, our sin has certain effects and consequences in our lives. And the first is this. Our sin separates us from God. And that's because God is holy and we're not. And God is not just a holy God. He's a just God. Which means that because of his very character, because of his justice, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment, according to the Bible, is that we would die and be separated from God forever. Now, that's some pretty bad news, isn't it? But you know what? The bad news gets even worse. Because the bad news says that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. If you were to just ask people this question, you know, what do you think it takes for God to accept you? Many people would say this, well, I try to be a good person. I try to do the best I can. I try to live by, you know, the Ten Commandments. You know, I've never robbed a bank. And they would go on and on. You know, sometimes I go to church. A whole list of things that they do to try to earn God's acceptance. But the Bible says there's nothing we can do to earn God's acceptance because we would have to be perfect and nobody is. And so the reality is that we can't do anything to restore our relationship with God. We can't do anything for God to accept us. So who has to take the initiative? God does. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that God the Father sends God the Son to earth. And that person is Jesus, fully God, fully man. And Jesus does what we could never do. What kind of life does he live? A perfect life. He loves God. He loves people perfectly. And then he does this. He goes to a cross. He offers himself up as a substitute for us. And church, this is so important for us to understand. There is an amazing transaction that happens at the cross, and it's actually a double transaction. And here's what I mean. When Jesus is dying on the cross, God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Jesus, and he dies. And when you accept what Jesus has done for you, this is what God does. He gives you credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived. And that's the other part of the transaction. Our sin is placed on Jesus, and when he dies, when God accepts this payment by raising Jesus to life, when we trust him, we're given a perfect record. And it's because of the life of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, that we are now acceptable to God. And so Jesus extends this invitation. He says, hey, come and follow me. So what does it take to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins and you choose to follow him. And when you do that, God adopts you into his family. Now you're a son, a daughter of God, and you can have this, this connection with Christ, this life-giving connection. Because when you're connected to Jesus, 
Life is entirely different. Now you have a new record. Now you have a new identity. Now you have a new potential. You can do things that were never possible before because now the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And friends, we can do this. We can cultivate a close connection with Christ by talking to Him, by learning from Him, by being around other people who have a close connection with Jesus. Remember one time I was in school studying to be a pastor. And one of our professors was talking to this rather small group of, of people who were studying to be pastors. And he said this. He said, guys, the only thing you have to offer the people that you serve is what's going on between you and Jesus. And that is so true. Church, as your pastor, the only thing I have to offer you is what's going on between me and Jesus. The closer my connection to Christ, the more I have to offer you as your pastor. And listen, that's true not just for pastors. It's true for every believer. The closer your connection to Christ, the more you have to offer the people that God's placed in your life. If you're married this morning, the closer your connection to Christ, the more you have to offer your husband or your wife. If you're a parent or a grandparent, the closer your connection to Jesus, the more you have to offer your kids and your grandkids. And church, that's true for, for every believer. When you're closely connected to Jesus, you have so much more to offer to all the people that God's brought into your life. Now imagine this. Imagine a church full of people who are individually connected to Jesus, closely connected. That would mean that we would have so much to offer each other as a church family. And that's the kind of church that God wants us to be. And that brings us to this next important truth that we've learned. To accomplish God's purpose for your life, you need to be connected not just to Jesus, but to God's people. This is from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him, speaking of God, who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work where? Where is God's power displayed? Within us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Listen carefully. God never intended for you to go through life alone. He didn't make you to experience life alone. There's a, a statement that God makes early in the Bible. He's created Adam. Adam is living in a perfect world, has a perfect relationship with God. And God looks at Adam and he makes this this striking statement, he says, it's not good for the man to be what? To be alone. God hates loneliness. And I believe that's why God created two things, marriage and the church, to deal with our loneliness. Because he had Adam and Eve. They were together. They were married. Now, you've heard me say this before, that marriage only lasts during our lifetime here on earth. And for some people, that's, well, disappointing. For others, it's a delight. But... God's family continues through eternity. God's family continues through eternity. And here's the simple truth. We are better together. You know, last week, Pastor Phil was talking about reaching out. Well, the simple truth is we reach out better how? Together. We just did it. We worship better together. We serve better together. We grow better together. God made us so that we would fulfill his purposes together. And that brings us to this next truth. To accomplish God's purpose for your life, you must embrace the teaching of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple, to embrace the teaching of Jesus. And church, we're going to be looking for the next several weeks leading up to Easter at different things that Jesus taught. 
on different topics and how to actually put them into practice in our lives. Shortly before Chris and I, my wife Chris and I, had our first child, I decided that I wanted to take piano lessons. And when our son David was born, I was trying to find a good piano teacher. And I found this lady who had retired. She was a music teacher at a local college. And I made an appointment to go to her house and kind of interview to be her student. And I remember that initial conversation. She said, so you want to learn to play the piano? I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, here's the deal. You have to do exactly what I tell you to do. Practice the number of minutes that I tell you to practice. And you better come prepared. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward, pretty old school. That's exactly the kind of teacher I want. So I said, well, I would love for you to be my piano teacher. And so this is what she did with her students. Her name was Mrs. Danino. She would ask you to take a piece of music that you wanted to play someday and bring it to her. So that's what I did in my next lesson. And I actually brought a classical piece by Beethoven. And I said, I really want to learn to play this song. It's called Moonlight Sonata. And she put the, the music on her piano. She had this grand piano in her living room. And she was in her 80s, and she had crippling arthritis. Her, her hands were just all bent. But despite that, she played this music so beautifully. And I just sat there kind of stunned. And I, I said, you know, I really want to be able to do that. And she said, Dudley, you can. If you will listen to me and do exactly what I tell you to do. And so for the next several months, I would take my piano lessons. And it was really cool because I would bring my wife, Chris, along. And David, our son, was just a baby. And he would come too. And and Mrs. Danino had a husband. His name was Frank, and Frank was in his 90s. He had been a, a big band leader. And if I was doing really well with my lesson, he would come out of the bedroom and, and say, good job, young man, just to encourage me. And so we got to know each other, and we just developed this, this close relationship. Mrs. Danino is the best teacher, the best music teacher I have ever known in my whole life. And it wasn't just because she loved music. It's because she loved me. She loved her students, and isn't that true of great teaching? Great teachers love their students. And if you're a parent, isn't that true? Why do you teach your kids? Because you love them. There's so many things you want them to do. So you, you teach them to walk, and you teach them to talk, and, and you teach them about God, and you teach them about Jesus, and about values and virtue, and you teach them sports, and you teach them all this stuff. And, and I was thinking that sometimes you even teach them how to do stuff around the house. It would be a lot easier to do by yourself. But because you love them, you teach them how to do it. But that is the hallmark of great teaching. Great teaching is motivated by love. And I was thinking, too, about some movies, some classic movies about teachers. Here's one. Does anybody know the name of this film? Yeah, Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss is the star, and he's this music teacher who has these great dreams about being a successful composer, but... He puts those dreams aside to teach his students to love music. Here's another movie. This is um, Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. And it's actually a true story of an ex-Marine who goes into the school where the kids have all kinds of problems. A lot of them are involved with drugs and gangs. And, and this teacher has these unconventional methods of teaching these kids because she loves them. And here's another, one of my favorite teacher movies. Does anybody know the name of this film? Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams, and he introduces his students to, to a world where they see things from a totally different perspective. Some of you know the film where he actually has the students stand on top of their desks because it looks different when you're standing on top of your desk. And, and here's what he does. He opens up 
a whole new world to his students. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ does. Jesus opens up a whole new world to those who will follow him and embrace his teaching. Look at these uh, statements. Jesus said this. He's talking to the people who believe in him. You are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. When you actually take the teaching of Jesus and put it into practice in your life, you're ushered into a whole new world of freedom. Or how about this? Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, catch this, fits perfectly, and the burden I give you is light. There are sources outside of the Bible that tell us that Jesus was the best yoke maker in all of Galilee. Now, what did Jesus do for a living? He was a carpenter, and what are yokes made out of? Wood. So Jesus would measure the necks of these animals and make a yoke that would fit perfectly. And that idea, in fact, we have a, a great picture in the lobby here of a yoke with that verse on it. The idea is that you would have these two animals that were connected together, and one was a very experienced animal, and the other was a novice. And so the experienced animal would show the other animal what to do. And that's a picture of our relationship, our partnership with Jesus. Because, church, here's the reality. You can be yoked to all kinds of things. Some people are yoked to their job. Some people are yoked to their cell phone. Some people are yoked to, to habits, to addictions. Some people are yoked to other people and trying to live up to their expectations. But here's the reality. God made you for one yoke. And it's the one that Jesus offers you to wear. Now, I want to do this. I want to actually talk about Jesus' teaching. I want to draw some observations from the Scripture because if we actually follow the teaching of Jesus, it will revolutionize our lives. So here's the first thing I want us to see. Jesus came to teach us how to live. How to live. This is from John chapter 3. After dark one evening a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. That was the mission of Jesus Christ, to be our teacher. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Now, we often think of the mission of Jesus in these terms, that Jesus came to rescue us by dying on the cross for our sins. Is that true? Absolutely. But here's something else. Jesus came to rescue us by showing us how to live. Jesus not only died for us, he lived for us. Listen to this story. I teach second grade in a Catholic school one day as part of our religion class. I asked the children to draw a picture showing what they do if they could spend the day with Jesus. The pupils tackled the project eagerly. After a few minutes, one little girl came up to my desk with her almost finished drawing in hand and said, teacher, how do you spell Bloomingdale's? Now think about that. What would it be like to really go through the day with Jesus right next to you? What would Jesus say to your boss? What would he say to your employees? What would Jesus say to your husband or to your wife? What would Jesus say to your kids? You know, the people that, that lived with Jesus, his disciples, the people who watched him, the people who listened to him, saw a man live a life they had like they had never seen before. Because think about just this. Jesus always knew the right thing to say, and he said it. 
He always knew the right thing to do, and he did it. Jesus knew when love should be tender and when love should be tough. Jesus knew how to have fun at a party. He had this, this peace in his heart because he always did the right thing. And at the end of his life, he said, Father, I thank you because I've, I've finished all the work you gave me to do. Jesus lived this incredible life, and his message was clear. If you'll trust me, if you'll do what I tell you to do, you can have that kind of life too. The music that you see in me, the joy, the peace, the hope, the, the purpose, that can be in your life too. In the Gospels, the title most often used for Jesus is teacher or rabbi. And in the Jewish culture, a rabbi had a very clear job description. A rabbi would take the principles of God's word and show you how they applied to life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you look at the headings in your Bible, you see the topics that Jesus taught on. He taught about anxiety. He taught about anger. He taught about marriage. He taught about money. All these very practical things. Why? Because he wants us to know how to live in this broken, fallen world. In fact, Jesus has a very clear goal for us as his students. This is what Jesus said. A student is not above his teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus wants to make his disciples like him. Now, does he have a plan for how that's going to happen? Well, yes, he does. And it involves this next principle. Jesus taught the truth. He taught the truth. This is from John chapter 1. It says, the word, that's a reference to Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is talking about the incarnation when Jesus comes to our world. We have seen his glory... The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and, what else? Truth. In Alcoholics Anonymous, people are strongly encouraged to face the truth about themselves. Meetings begin with a greeting. Hi, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Sue and I'm an alcoholic. People in AA know that you're not going to change unless you face the truth about yourself. Jesus knows that too. And so to be his disciple, to embrace his teaching, is to open your life, your heart, to the truth that Jesus taught. It means that we're willing to come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you, would you please tell me the truth about my marriage? I mean, am I being selfish here? Am I really putting my spouse first? I need to know. It means coming to Jesus and saying, you know, Jesus, would you tell me the truth about, about money? Would you show me what you want me to do with the resources that you've entrusted to me? And the list goes on. Jesus, would you teach me about why I keep losing my temper? Jesus, would you, would you show me why I worry all the time? Jesus, would you, would you show me the truth about this addiction in my life? Over 80 times in the Gospels, we read that Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And the reason Jesus tells us the truth is because he loves us. And listen carefully. If you want to experience the love of Christ, you need to embrace the teaching of Christ. Because it is through his teaching that he expresses love to us. And that means that we must trust that Jesus is right about everything. Not just some things, but that he's right about everything. That means that if I disagree with Jesus, either I'm wrong or I didn't really understand what he was saying. And why is that important? Because Jesus taught the truth with authority. He taught the truth with authority. And that's the next point on your outline. Jesus taught with authority. One time, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he said, hey, listen, this is a paraphrase. Hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? 
And the disciples said, well, you know, some people say you're Elijah or, you know, John the Baptist come back from the dead or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? Because you've been with me. You've seen my life. Who do you say I am? And some of you know the story. Peter, impetuous Peter, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, you nailed it, Peter. That's exactly who I am. Friends, when Jesus speaks, he speaks not only out of his humanity, but out of his divinity. Because Jesus is not just the Son of God, he is God the Son. The Bible says that there's one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son. And the Greek word for authority is a very interesting one. The word is ex-ousia. It's a compound word. Ex means out of or from, and ousia means being. So when Jesus speaks, he speaks out of his being, out of his nature and character as God. And people somehow sensed that. Look at this verse. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, this is referring to one of his sermons, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When the rabbis of, of Jesus' day were arguing with one another, they would quote other rabbis. Just to make a point, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Well, yeah, I know, but Rabbi so-and-so said that. It's sort of like what lawyers do in court. They, they argue different precedents and case law before a judge to make their point. Jesus never did that. As a rabbi, he never quoted any other rabbis. He said, you've heard it said in the past, but I myself say to you, why? Because he taught with authority, and he was calling people to accept his authority. And that's our choice, isn't it? To accept or reject the authority of Christ. Think about this. When you're a kid growing up, when you were a kid growing up, did you always accept the authority of your parents' teaching? Man, I didn't. But I discovered this as I grew up and I became a parent. And my wife would, would say the same thing. We discovered some of the things that our moms and dads taught us were actually true. Imagine that. They knew what they were talking about. And when you are serious about accepting the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, you discover that Jesus is right about everything. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, just think about this. Somebody really hurts you, and you're really mad at them, and you'd rather not ever see them or speak to them again. And then you go, but that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I'm supposed to forgive them, and I'm supposed to go to them and try to work things out. So you, you decide, you know what? I'm just going to do what Jesus said. And you do, and you discover, man, this is amazing because this bitterness in my heart, this anger, this resentment, it's just it's dissolving. I'm really able to forgive because I stepped out in faith and I followed the teaching of Jesus. Hey, Jesus is right about this forgiveness stuff. Or how about this? Let's say that you come into some money, you get a bonus at work, and you think, man, I could spend that money on myself. And then it's almost like Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, what did I teach about, about resources, about meeting the needs of others? And you go, you're right, Jesus. Maybe I should try to find somebody in need and you know, share some of this money with them, or maybe I should give it to the church or to God's work in the world. And you do that, and what you discover is joy. That it just, it fills up your heart to be able to help somebody else, and you go, oh, wow, Jesus was right about money. Listen, every single day we have the opportunity to discover that Jesus was right. Every day we have the opportunity to accept or reject the teaching of Jesus.
And here's why that is so important. Because, and this is on your outline, our response to Jesus' teaching will determine the kind of life we build. Church, this is true. Our response to Jesus' teaching will determine the kind of life we build. This is what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, Therefore, everyone, everyone, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But on the other hand, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. In his book, Love Beyond Reason, author John Ortberg talks about this story, and he raises an important question. How did the foolish man end up like this? Why did he decide to build his house on the sand? And he writes this. When children do something foolish, their parents, in a futile search for meaning and rationality, always ask the same question. Why? Why did you draw on the wall with permanent markers? Why did you place the bike strategically behind the car so it would be backed over and crushed? Why did you have a contest to see who could stick the longest spaghetti noodle up your brother's nose? Of course they don't know. If they were operating on the basis of reason and logic, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. I don't know, it just happened. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. If you were to ask the foolish man, hey, hey, foolish man, why did you build your house on the sand? What do you think he'd say? I don't know. It just happened. Seemed like a good idea at the time. You see, around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus taught, the sun baked the soil, and the ground was really hard. And at first glance, that would seem like a, a good place to build. But a wise builder knew this, that you had to dig down a couple of feet to hit bedrock because that was the only secure foundation for your house. And church, the reality is this, that people often don't think much about the risk of building on the sand. Because think about it, what couple stands before a pastor and exchanges wedding vows intending for their marriage to end in divorce? And what, what man or woman decides to have a child intending to be too busy to give their son or their daughter the time and attention and direction they need. What person sits down and plans on having an addiction? But those things happen, and the question is why? And here's the answer, in large part, because of the choices that we make. And so let me ask you this, what kind of house, what kind of life are you building? Because if you want to build a strong foundation for your life, one that will withstand the inevitable storms, you need to take a look at this last question, because here it is. Am I willing to accept Jesus' teaching in every area of my life? Not some areas, in every area. Because at the end of chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't say, and they listened to Jesus and did what he taught, and they all lived happily ever after. It doesn't say that. It says they were amazed at his teaching. And it says that, they, they recognized that a teaching had authority, but it does not say if they obeyed him. 
And the question is, will we? Will I? Will you? When Jesus teaches about forgiveness, when Jesus teaches about marriage and anxiety and judging others and prayer and all of these different topics, will we actually take his teaching and put it into practice in our lives? Because listen carefully, every time you choose to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ, you are strengthening the foundation of your life. And every time you and I intentionally disregard the teaching of Jesus Christ, we are eroding the foundation of our life. Let me close with this, this story. When our kids were, were small, my wife Chris and I loved to read them stories at night. And we had all these different books. And it was, it was kind of fun because our children would often want us to read the same book over and over again. And so one of my kids, I have two sons and a daughter who are grown now, but one of my children had a favorite story, and this story was about these three brothers who were building houses out of different construction materials. And they had this, this um, crafty character who wanted to come and destroy their house and destroy them. Do you know what story I'm talking about? What is it? Yeah, here's a, here a picture that will give you a little clue here. Yeah. That's the, the big bad wolf. And you may remember the story that the first brother, he has a house made out of what? Straw. And the second is sticks. And what was the third brother's house made out of? Bricks. And so the big bad wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he destroys the straw house and he destroys the stick house. But man, when he comes to the house made out of brick, still stands. There's no way he can blow it down. And I remember... And this didn't happen once, it happened several times. I'd be putting my child to bed. And my child would say, Daddy, at the end of hearing the story, Daddy, is our house made out of brick? I'd say, yeah, our house is made out of brick. I'd go over and hit the wall. Then I'd come back and my child would say, Daddy, are you sure? I'd say, yeah, I'm sure. This house is solid. This house is made out of bricks. You don't need to worry, just go to sleep. Let me ask you this. Is the house you're building made out of brick? Because this is what Jesus said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus is a teacher like no other. Thank you that you teach us, Lord, because you love us and you teach us the truth about ourselves. And Lord, this morning I think of the person who's going through a test, a test of what they believe. God, I pray that they would trust you and believe that you are with them and that you are for them. And God, for the person this morning who maybe has never really either heard or fully understood the, the bad news and the good news. Never really understood that they need a new life because there's nothing they can do to make themselves acceptable to you. God, I pray that here and now they could just say this in their heart to you. God, I realize that I've failed in many ways. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need Jesus and I believe he died on a cross for my sins and and that he came back to life, and I want to follow him. God, you always hear that prayer. 
and you adopt us into your family, and we become your sons and your daughters. And because of that, God, a new life is possible. Father, as a church, I pray that each one of us would develop a closer connection to you, Lord Jesus, so that we will have more and more to offer each other and to offer you, so that as your people, people of purpose, that, God, we can really change this world. God, this morning as we close the service, remind us that because of Jesus, we belong to you. You are our Father, and we are your sons and your daughters. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.